Well, have you ever had a young child ask you to define a word that's really hard to define? I was talking with my son the other day, and he had, we, you know, as our conversations often do, he started asking me questions about police officers. And I said something to the effect of, you know, everyone needs to follow the law. The law applies to everybody. He said, Daddy, what does applies mean? Uh-oh. I said, well, it, it means it covers you or, or it's relevant to you. Daddy, what does relevant mean? Uh, I said, well, it, it means it applies to you. And I started talking in, in circles. Um, that's really hard to explain to a five-year-old. Um, so I, I pivoted and I decided instead to try to use an example. I said, well, if I were to tell everyone here that all the, all the girls should start jumping up and down, would that apply to you? No, that wouldn't apply to you because you're a boy. But if I were to say that all the boys should start jumping up and down, then would that apply to you? Yes, it would apply. That's right, buddy. So that's what it means. It applies to you. It's relevant. So I wasn't able to give him a definition, but sometimes an example can be more helpful in understanding something than a definition or a statement. Sometimes to really understand something, we have to see how it works in practice. And I think Psalm 136 is a psalm that's like that. Um, it shows us God's love as opposed to just telling us about it or defining it. Um, and so the, the main point that we're going to have tonight is uh, yeah, we should praise the Lord for his steadfast love, which is seen in all he does. And I'll have two points for us to consider tonight. Uh, the first, which is going to be the longest, is that we should see God's love in what he does. See God's love in what he does. And second, we should praise God for his love. Praise God for his love. I'm going to read Psalm 136 in just a minute here in its entirety. Um, you can find it on page 520 of the Pew Bibles. As I read, I'm going to invite you to, to join me in responding with the refrain. So there's a refrain that says, His steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to ask you to say that with me as we go through. Um, we don't know for sure that this is how the Israelites would have um, sung this psalm, uh, but it certainly lends itself to a responsive reading, and, and I think it's going to help us kind of soak in each line as we go through. Now, I will warn you that um, this is going to take a while. It's repetitive, and it's long, and I thought about not doing it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, this is really the entire point of the psalm, is to slow down and to see what God's doing, um, to consider each aspect of his work. Um, so as we do this, I'm going to encourage you not to kind of just follow along for the sake of knowing when your cue is to read, but to really put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites who would have been reflecting on God's faithfulness to them as a nation. So here we go, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, I'm sure you notice the psalm repeatedly points us to the steadfast love of God. But did you notice how it does that? It points us to God's actions and to his character. And when you look at the structure of the psalm, it's designed to highlight some aspect of who God is or what he's done so that we can better understand him and his love toward his people. So overall, the psalm is actually structured pretty simply. It consists of a single command, which is to give thanks. You can see that in verses 1, 2, 3, and 26. And in one sense, it really only contains a single reason for giving thanks, uh, which is that his steadfast love endures forever. The only thing that changes in each verse is how God is identified. In other words, the psalm is 26 verses long because it identifies the person to whom we're to give thanks in 26 different ways. So, you know, if you're thinking about this from an efficiency standpoint in the word count, this is not the optimal arrangement. Um, you know, as a lawyer, I'm thinking, you know, we could, if this were a legal brief, we could save a lot of space by just identifying God by name, you know. <laughs> give thanks to God for his steadfast love endures forever. There you go. One verse, there's your psalm, ten words. I'll bill you for that. <laughs> well, never hire a lawyer to do a poet's job. Um, the psalm's repetitive for a reason. God wants us to stop, to slow down, to think about who he is and what he's done, and to think about what that reveals about his love toward his people. He wants us to see he always acts toward his people with gracious love. And he wants us to see he's acted on behalf of his people a lot. So we really get a good insight into God's love by going through the psalm. And so we're actually going to do that right now. Let's walk through it together. The psalm has six sections. Um, verses 1 through 3 um, are the first section. It's sort of the introductory section. It's a call to praise Yahweh, who rules above all so-called gods. God wants us to see that he's not just supreme, but he's good. He exhibits steadfast love toward his people. By the way, that word steadfast love is chesed. I think I pronounced that correctly. It's a word that means yeah, faithful, enduring, loyal, loving kind love. Um, we move to the second section, which is verses 4 through 9, and here is where the psalmist really begins to illustrate God's love for us. He's here highlighting his work as the almighty creator, 
So verses 4 through 9 are talking about God's work in creating the earth and everything in the universe. This is a reference to Genesis 1. But it's interesting, he's not necessarily calling on us to reflect on God's work and power as such, right? He's calling us to look closer and to see that in God's power in creating the universe, we see his steadfast love. If you remember, what does God say after he creates everything? He sees it and he says it was what? Very good, yeah. So we can see even in the work that God does, we see his goodness and we see his love. And this is what the psalmist is wanting us to see as we're working through and considering what God's doing. And then we come to the third and fourth sections, and, and here's where I want to spend a little bit more time. Um, in verses 10 through 16, this is section 3, the psalmist identifies God by his work as the mighty deliverer, um, you know, bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. So this is a reference to the book of Exodus. And then the fourth section, verses 17 through 22, the psalmist identifies God as the great conqueror, enabling Israel to inherit the land that he had promised, which was occupied by other people. So this is a reference to the book of Joshua, to the book of Numbers, and, and other books about the conquest of the promised land. I think these third and fourth sections really illustrate for us just how deep and undeserved God's love is. You might expect a psalm about God's love to focus on the nice, warm, fuzzy things that he does for his people. Uh, but these sections of the psalm are about God's yeah, destruction toward other people. Um, it says, yeah, God defeated the Egyptians. He struck down their firstborn. He killed the kings who opposed Israel. I think the psalmist wants us to see that God took sides. He took sides. He took the side of his people. And he did this with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. So what does that say about God's love? Well, first of all, I think it shows that God's love is not just an abstract love without any particular object. God's love is, is directed somewhere. It's directed toward his people. And second, relatedly, it shows that God's love toward his people is fierce and deep. It's not a tepid, shallow love. As Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? His love is protective and stalwart. It's a love that will fight on behalf of the beloved. You know, our storybooks try to get at this type of love when they talk about the brave knight you know, fighting to protect the princess from evil. You multiply that times a billion and you begin to get a sense of God's perfect, deep love for his people. He loves us so much he's willing to fight on behalf of his people. And what makes God's love even more amazing is yeah, the nation of Israel discussed in the psalm here, they didn't deserve God's love. Now, sure, God's judgment on Egypt and on the other nations was a just judgment. Um, you know, Israel was an oppressed people, and he was judging the sins of these other nations. And that's, that's certainly true. But it doesn't mean that Israel deserved God's love. Right? When God first covenanted with Abraham, Abraham was an idolater, and God knew that Abraham's descendants were going to wander away from him and require yeah, his discipline. But God still covenanted with Abraham. He still blessed Abraham and his descendants. Why? Well, it's because he, in his sovereignty, chose to lavish his love on these people, to show the riches of his glorious grace. He, he gives us his love to show that, yeah, he, he wants us to see that he his grace is completely undeserved so that we will give him glory for that. 
And we know that God's not just willing to fight for his people. He loves them so much he's willing to die for them. So up until now, we've been focusing on the nation of Israel, which is appropriate because that's the focus of the psalm. Um, But we know that a lot's happened since Psalm 136 was written, right? God now has made a covenant of grace that's extended to all people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And yeah, just like Israel, we don't deserve God's favor, but just like Israel, he lavishes his love on us anyway. Um, God showed his love for us in this. While we were still, de- still sinners, Christ, the Son of God, died in our place. And then he fought and defeated our last enemy. Just as he fought on behalf of Israel, he fought and defeated death itself when he rose from the dead. So that if we would put our faith in Christ and receive his grace, we would, we would have the hope of eternal life to spend with him in that promised inheritance, uh, to be with him forever. So this is the gospel, and it's the fulfillment of God's loving work toward Israel that we're seeing in the psalm here. So God's love is fierce and, and deep. And then we come to the fifth section, which is verses 23 through 25, and notice how the tone changes. Here God's shown to be the merciful provider. This is, I think, probably the most moving part of the psalm. It shows God's compassion. The psalmist says that it was he who remembered us in our lowest state, rescued us from our foes, he who gives food to all flesh. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Think about that. God has affection for his people. He cares for them. He takes care of them. He does this perfectly. Who, who can love us like our God? Well, finally, in verse 26, the psalmist concludes by identifying God as the sovereign ruler of everything, the God of heaven, whose steadfast love is shown in his rule. And that's where the psalm ends. So as we think about how to apply this, I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, have you reflected recently on God's faithfulness and love toward you? Have you considered who he is, what he's done, and the extent of the depth of his love, what it cost him to save you? I'm, I'm not much of an emotional guy, but as I was preparing to do this sermon, God's, yeah, God's love hit me in a, in a new way. I hope it has for you when you see how, how deep his love is. So if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ and accepted his gracious gift of salvation, I'd encourage you, consider the depths of God's love for you. He died for you. Put your faith in Christ. Become one of his people. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but, but God feels distant. He feels more like a concept than a person. Um, maybe you find it difficult to spend time in, in God's word or in prayer. I'd encourage you again to reflect on how deeply God loves you, what it cost him to save you. Let his love warm your affections toward him. Let it cause you to draw near to him in his word and in prayer. He loves you. Maybe you're here and you don't know what the future holds. Um, could be you're facing injustice, someone has it out for you. Could be you're facing rejection, loss, pain, uncertainty. Whatever it is, maybe it's, it's occupying your thoughts constantly and, and a source of anxiety. Well, I'd encourage you, let, let God's love cause you to rest. He loves us perfectly. He doesn't promise a pain-free life, but he does promise to walk through us, walk with us in the midst of the pain. He will never leave us or forsake us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So yeah, meditate on his sovereignty and and goodness and know the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. 
Maybe you're here and you feel like God couldn't possibly love you in light of something you've done, or at least he couldn't fully love you. Well, I've got news for you. God loves you, yes, even you. I mean, it sounds scandalous to say that God would love us, but that's the point of the gospel. We don't deserve grace, and yet he lavishes, on, lavishes it on us. He's not stingy. So instead of, of coming before God with trepidation or fear, come before him with tearful, thankful praise. God loves you. And that really brings us to our second and final point, which is that we should praise God for his love. Uh, again, this entire psalm is ultimately a call to give thanks. We're called to slow down to see God's love and what he's doing, then to praise him for it. Um, one thing that kept hitting me as I was preparing for the sermon was how edifying it could be to actually be able to apply the structure of this psalm to the New Testament, right? To Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. Um, and so I've actually written a little psalm of my own. This certainly is not inspired scripture um, in the same way as Psalm 136 is, but, but my hope in closing with this is, is that it will help us to better understand and appreciate the height and length of depth and depth of God's love and that it would warm our affection for each aspect of the gospel. So as I, as I read this, I'm actually going to invite you to, again, say that refrain with me, for his steadfast love endures forever. Obviously, this will not be written in front of you. I will motion with my hand when I'm finished with each line. But as we go through, just consider each aspect of God's love shown for us in the gospel. All right, here we go. Give thanks to God who became a man, for his steadfast love endures forever to Jesus Christ who emptied himself and was born in the likeness of men, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who humbled himself in obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who suffered for our sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him who rose from the dead, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who swallowed up death in victory, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who sits at the right hand of God the Father, for his steadfast love endures forever, and is interceding for his people for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him who will come again soon, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the sound of a trumpet, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who will sit on the great white throne and judge the earth in righteousness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him who is making all things new, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who will make his dwelling place with his people forever, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who will wipe away every tear from their eyes, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, for his steadfast love endures forever. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Just pray with me. Father, we recognize that we have no claim no of right on your love, and yet you lavish it upon us.
Lord, we praise you for the riches of your, of your mercy, for the depths of your kind, kindness to us, um, for the hope that we have in Christ, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. I pray in, in particular for anyone here who, uh, yeah, who views you as, as distant or who feels like they have a cold relationship with you, Lord. I pray that you would warm our hearts um, with the warmth of your love, um, that we would love because you first loved us. If there's anyone here who, yeah, who has a, a heart that has not yet been made alive, Lord, would you, um, by your grace, yeah, regenerate them, give them new life, and for those of us who are called by your name, Lord, would you just yeah, hit us afresh with the, the scope and the depth, the height, the breadth of your love. We thank you for this time that we could consider what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.